0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What happened to a group of US Air Force personnel after they witnessed the best documented UFO landing of all time? Why was the Air Force's record keeping so inept? Why are those where are those witnesses today?
1: Why are those witnesses today? Why not? Hey there. <laughs> hey there, welcome to the 539th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, I am Ben, and those the asked questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening, we welcome back two old friends for a somewhat different look at a case any veteran listener is familiar with. And uh, we welcome your phone calls. If you so incline, uh, it's 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240.
0: Nick Pope is a well-known author, researcher, and freelance journalist. From 1985 to 2006, he served in various capacities in the U.K. Ministry of Defense. Among these were several years spent investigating UFO sightings and determining their possible defense significance. He now lives in California. Sergeant John Burroughs, U.S. Air Force retired, was a primary eyewitness to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incidents of December 1980, centered around two NATO air bases in eastern England, where he was assigned. He now lives in Arizona. Unfortunately, Staff Sergeant Jim Peniston, U.S. Air Force retired, also a primary eyewitness, was unable to be with us this evening, but will join us on September 8th. All three men are co-authors of the new book, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, The Inside Story of the World's Best Documented UFO Incident. The website, www.nickpope.net. So, Nick and John, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. Good to be back. Okay, let me get my headset here. I just dropped it. We're in uh, great shape today. Okay, so again, welcome welcome to the show again. And uh, you and many other witnesses have been with us uh, here on ON 1240 and on CBS Radio many times since 2010, but there are always new listeners and always new questions. So, Nick, I'll ask you to briefly outline the Rendlesham Forest case.
2: Well, this is uh, December 1980. It takes place over a series of three nights at two NATO air bases in the United Kingdom, operated by the United States Air Force. That's Bentwaters and Woodbridge. And Rendlesham Forest essentially lies between these two bases. On the first night, strange lights are seen in the forest, and the first thought is that maybe a, a light aircraft has crashed in the forest and started a fire. Uh, security police and law enforcement personnel go out there and then one of them says something slightly disconcerting it didn't crash it landed John and Jim uh, then essentially have an encounter uh, not just lights in the sky but something up close and personal and I'll after I finished my brief introductory blurb I'll let John tell tell the story of that because he was the guy there with his boots on the ground So to fast-forward over that night, uh, then a number of other personnel had sightings on an intermediary night. And then the deputy base commander himself, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt, and a team uh, of other people who were investigating the sighting from the first night, themselves had an encounter with a UFO. And at one point, this fired a narrow beam of light down at the ground in front of Colonel Holt and his men. Um, and there was physical trace evidence all the way through this case this is why it's particularly important in evidential terms there were uncorrelated targets tracked on radar there were anomalous radiation readings found at the site in, in the gr- on the ground where this thing actually uh, was believed to have landed there is a, a document trail of, of both British and American government papers that Support all of this. So this isn't just people's stories. This is this is hard evidence to back it up, too
0: Okay Uh, John, why don't you fill in your part of the story there?
3: Okay, Nick went into you know the summary of the event What what took place was after seeing strange lights while on patrol with uh, my partner who did say it didn't crash it landed um, We contacted a law enforcement desk who transferred it to CSC Eventually, Sergeant Penniston arrived on the scene. Three of us went out: myself, Sergeant Pennison, and uh, Ed Kabansack, Airman Kabansak. Uh We were given permission to go out there because, like Nick said, at first they thought of a small plane or, or, you know, a crap—not crap, but a small plane may have crashed because something was seen on radar and disappeared out over the forest area just outside the Woodbridge Gate. Um, we went out into the forest, and that's where we had the encounter. Um, I remember getting close to something, a bright white light coming, lighting up, hitting the ground, then whatever it was, went up in the air and disappeared. Sergeant Penniston goes into greater detail. He was closer to it where he actually was able to get up, walk around it, touch it, have a binary download, um, and put all this in his notebook, take pictures, and and um, also draw what uh, they were on the craft.
0: Okay, yeah, this, that's going to be a fascinating story. As I say, September 8th, Jim will be with us, and he'll get to that bit But especially the uh, interesting part of actually touching the craft, feeling it kind of warm to the touch, uh, the glyphs or writing or insignia or whatever on the side, and then later on the uh, binary code download, which we've talked about, too. But uh, before we get going, because uh, you fellows around, we always burn up the R very quickly. I want to mention... Uh, that uh, the Rendlesham Forest Incident Conference for 2014 will take place on September 20th in Woodbridge at the Community Hall in Woodbridge, Suffolk, England. And uh, if you fellows like to say a word about that, you're both going to be there? Yeah. Um,
3: and, uh, I'm, I'm going to be there, Paul. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think Nick is. I do know that Gordy's working on bringing some other people uh, involved you know and rendle some research into it too but as of now nick isn't but yeah i will be there on uh, saturday september 20th
0: uh, very good and uh, we will put a link to that website on our website behind the com, and i uh, hope anybody can get there we have a lot of listeners in the uk we hope you can get there uh, to it beautiful country amazing place and uh, great speakers okay um ben
1: you want to take uh yeah, yeah 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 sure okay okay. doke um let me just get my paper over here. My he's lovely, lovely, being lovely the producer notes. today. So. Oh my god! Alrighty. <laughs> so, alright. So, is it true that um, you had to get clearance from both the U.S. and the U.K. governments uh, before publishing this book? So, what's that about?
2: Well, that's that's just a standard part of of really anyone who served in the military, as John and Jim have, or anyone who served in government, as as I have in the U.K. I mean, it was kind of. Uh, Uh, double whammy situation really that because of our former uh, government and military service and because of some of the sensitivities involved with with these bases the time uh, this was the height of the Cold War of course that this all took place uh, we were pretty much duty-bound to go not just to the Ministry of Defense but to the Department of Defense Office of Security Review and give them the opportunity to look at the manuscript and uh, take out anything that, that they, they wanted to. And I mean, I think it, it's easy to characterize this sort of thing as censorship. I think we, we just regard this sort of thing as, as doing our duty and being loyal citizens. We're not whistleblowers. And that doesn't mean that we're happy with everything that the government and the military has done in relation to this case, of course, but, but we have no desire to break our security oaths or or to uh, put into the public domain sensitive military or governmental information that that shouldn't be out there. So, you know, there's nothing too sinister about this. But I think, having said that, it is the first time that a, a book on UFOs has needed formal security clearance from both the British and American government.
0: What would have happened if you didn't get the clearance?
2: Well, um, Worst worst case scenario, I guess there could be a knock on the door and a couple of smartly dressed individuals turning up and uh, you know <laughs> take it from
0: there. Yeah, we know though. I, I just it just struck me as, as quite intriguing because uh, you know I had a clearance too when I was in the military and I didn't you know I've, I've never written about anything I made sure it was okay that it wasn't classified. But I guess you're in you in a different league from disappearing vessels. I guess uh, yeah, which so- is it? what all I've written about
1: yeah well, I haven't written about anything, so we're in two entirely different boats. Pardon the pun so john uh we've now that we're switching to almost an entirely different topic we've always been intrigued by the uh physical feelings you felt in the presence of the craft and your own um apparent disappearance in the light quote unquote
3: Can you talk about that well th- there when the very from the very beginning there was appeared to be a static electricity in the air. Um, things like I've said over the years seem to be going a little bit slower, slowing down. Um, the coloring of the light and, and stuff like that, but there was a clear electrical charge or amp field in the air uh, with whatever we were dealing with. Hmm. Uh, the reason this intrigues us is because
0: we often run into that ourselves in the presence of strange things that we feel are, well, you know, you know, you know, our terms, interdimensional or whatever. The uh, disappearing though in the light that's mentioned in your book. Uh, Now I don't know you. Do you have any memory of that? Uh, I guess it was Jim who saw you sort of disappear into this light for a few moments, a missing time kind of thing. Was that what it was?
3: Uh, The disappearing in the light. It came up twice. Uh, Adrian Bastenza said on the third night that he saw me go into it and disappear. That's right. Jim, Jim has said that I was within the light i think he used the word incapacitated at one point but yeah it both both nights it appears that i had some kind of interaction or actually was inside whatever you know was there the light itself from other people now do i remember that no what i remember is clearly getting close to something twice and then i have no idea what happened from that point on were you ever hypnotized um, on that subject yeah I, i was put under hypnosis on more than one occasion where interesting things come out but like You know, everything else you have to, you know, base what you talk about under hypnosis is different than what I have in memory.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's also the issue of whether hypnosis is valid. I mean, there was a a time when it was accepted, and then in the 80s it kind of fell out of favor, and now it's kind of back again, so who knows. Uh, Your book, fellas, really brings out the official confusion that resulted from the sightings. Can you talk about the inaccurate information and dates on some of the reports? And were they deliberate?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, the most obvious and popularly cited error, of course, is that Colonel Holt, in his initial memorandum to the British Ministry of Defence, got the dates of the incident wrong. And I think one can have a debate about uh, the original investigation, whether this was just mishandled or whether it was almost, and I think the phrase we used, was it's almost like uh, the people involved in the initial investigation were almost being set up to fail. Now, I should say, it is quite a a complex situation. There's a whole raft of different legislation that applies in this kind of situation. You can look at the NATO status of forces agreement, and then you can look at a whole bunch of... um, Uh, other bilateral memoranda between the United States and the United Kingdom. it's, It's a complicated situation. American bases on British soil at the height of the Cold War, an incident which involves the bases but also takes place off the bases. So there are question marks over jurisdiction, there are question marks over primacy, and there are inevitable mistakes with both the Ministry of Defence and the United States Air Force conducting their own investigations, but no one seems to be completely clear whether the British or the Americans have the lead. And information is not being shared between the two governments, which is quite unusual because people always talk about the special relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom. It's almost as if when it comes to this subject of UFOs, that special relationship didn't seem to apply, and there is quite a lot of tension between the British and American government. For example, after the event, the senior United States Air Force General in Europe, General Gabriel, flew to the bases, was briefed on the incident, and took items of evidence back to his headquarters without telling the British government. And, and the Ministry of Defense, not to put too fine a point on it, was furious about this. and some of those tensions we highlight in the book
0: Do you know what evidence uh, pieces of evidence General Gabriel took with him?
2: He certainly took the tape recording that Colonel Holt made of, of the encounter that he had um, the famous Holt tape, but also on the basis that they've disappeared it, it seems logical that he took the soil samples, he took the Uh, scrapings from the trees and the sap don't forget that the the whole landing site the whole uh, this small uh, tiny little clearing in in the forest where this encounter happened on the first night uh, was effectively treated as as on the fact a crime scene and it was forensicated but what we don't have we have one Ministry of Defense document saying that General Gabriel visited and took some of these items what we don't have, what nobody has managed to find out, is, is where the trail went after that.
0: Hmm. You know, I, I remember, um, was it Halt then, Colonel Halt, who's been on the show with us several times uh, with you fellows, he, he made a copy of the tape wisely, I guess, before he turned it over, is that correct? Because obviously we have the tape
2: yes indeed yes he he made a copy and that's certainly
0: out there I remember the bizarre experience of being in Rendlesham Forest and listening to that tape on the spot or one of the spots in which it was made it was a bizarre bizarre experience I must say you've probably done the same thing Um, now on the issue of um, John this what happened to you in the days
3: following the incident well for me what I know happened for sure is because colonel hall says otherwise but i know you know we were asked to write a statement we actually came in and saw colonel hall you know over at the headquarters command headquarters from there we were taken into colonel conrad's office um sir pettison was obviously the lead guy so he did the talking and then after we spoke with colonel conrad or reported in Con- the colonel conrad's office we then went into colonel williams's office and that's that's basically what I remember happening. You know, we, we turned statement in, we went in front of, you know, the senior staff, and then I went back to work as far as uh, having no other involvement. Now, other people have claimed they were brought in and interrogated. You know, some of them claim they were put under, you know, hypnosis, uh, sodium pentothal, and stuff like that. I have no memory of that happening to me. And Colonel Hall has been adamant, especially over the last few years, that that all took place.
0: Yeah, he, he said on the show several times that you, fo- you fellows were, were messed with. And on the other hand, one thing he said to us one time really struck me as, as particularly odd because of its, I don't know, because of its nature. And I don't know if you fellows were involved in the conversation that time, but he was saying that when he retired, he was uh, given a security debriefing, naturally, uh, especially being such a high-ranking officer, and they said, don't talk about this, 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 and this. He said, well, what about the incident? You know the UFOs, and they, according to him, they acted as though they didn't know what he was talking about, and kind of shrugged their shoulders. I mean, what
3: say you? Um, I mean, the early on when the case first made headlines and was making the circuit, that was obviously news of the world and everything. Um, I, I had some interaction with the Pentagon and stuff on it, and they wanted me to do an interview with Chuck DeCaro, who did the initial investigation on it. Um, and some other people, including Reb O'Shea and Scott Colburn, got into it. And they got an interesting answer from Senator Essan's office that an incident took place that there was no cover-up, but there was interdepartmental information that they had come across, but he wasn't going to discuss it with them because he was, it wasn't us asking um and as far as i went it was clear they did the memo is what they wanted to stand by um it's it's you know it's hard to say i mean i guess if you do, if you, you say that then what what do you do you know but if you tell somebody they can't you put it in writing and they have a copy of it then that can be used later against gets the government themselves
1: yeah so how long in the air force uh well how long did you stay in the air force and did the incident follow you
3: i was in for almost 27 years between active and reserve time and i spent a lot of time on active duty towards the end after uh you know 9-11 mm-hmm. um it didn't it didn't um you know there's been different documentaries and stuff i've done over the time frame different questions been asked but I, I didn't go from base to base making a big deal about it or talking about it and stuff so and i mean as far as the air force was concerned i mean like it goes back to again you know out of sight out of mind don't talk about it to them and there's nothing he can use against us.
0: But you feel that you have health in, uh, problems that, that may have derived from this incident, and uh, also a lot of issues with the VA. Is that true?
3: Well, yeah. My um, my records through two United States senators, one the first one, Senator Kyle, and now Senator McCain. My medical records appear to be classified. You live in Arizona, yeah? Right. They can't get their hands on them. They're. Um, uh, my uh, DD Form 214 was altered and said I wasn't even in the Air Force from 79 to 83. They what? finally sent me... Became- Wow. Yeah, my then my DD form 214 was altered. It, yes, yeah, dis- discharge when, Yes, when they when they initially denied my request for disability, that Senator Kyle had me go through to find out if my records were classified or not. Their standing was two things. Number one, I was in the Air Force from 79 to 83, and they produced the DD form 214 to show me not coming in until 83, and the, also the fact they had no medical records. Um, finally, through you know the fact that i was retired and some other things about six weeks later is the A aid, senior aide down in phoenix office center mccain's office said, it took a yeoman's effort to get your dd form 214 put back to normal but i highly doubt we'll ever get our hands on your records they're locked down
0: well some people might say john and have said that uh you and jim both have been career uh air force uh fellows you know non-commissioned officers that you would be uh subject to more messing with, as Halt would put it, than others who were not in so long? I mean, and, and that, that uh, some have even said that, that your version of the story might be called into question because you were so close to the Air Force for so long. I mean, what would you say to someone who said that to you?
3: I mean, it's pretty simple. First of all, my issue with Colonel Halt is simple. He keeps implying this stuff, but he never shows any proof. And you know what? If you got the proof, Colonel, produce it, okay? Because if it is true what you're saying, what you claim to know, then we've got some serious uh, issues that we can take forward. And I'm sure my senator would love to have that information and an open inquiry could take place. And number two, um, my career in the Air Force You know, has nothing to do with what happened to me. Um, There are certain things I can't talk about that don't have anything to do with the incident itself but some of the bases I was at, some of the operations and stuff I were involved with classified locations and some of the weaponry that was involved in the bases I was at. But it has nothing to do with this incident. In fact, I've been pushing hard, which I learned a lot of it through uh, Nick Pope in the first place Project Condine, which goes into the fact that Within this report, they openly admit, and I'll read you a little piece from it, they openly admit the well-reported Rendlesham Forest-Bentwaters event is an example where it might be postulated that several observers were probably exposed to UAP radiation for longer than the normal UAP sighting period. Nick can go into more detail on condying because he was involved with the report being done and after it came out, but it's clear the MOD knows that, A, we were exposed to something, and it was radiation, and B, they're doing investigations on UF, UAPs, which initially was UFOs, changed the UAPs, and it's highly of defense significance.
0: Yeah, I can not see how it wouldn't be, MOD folks being the Ministry of Defense in the United Kingdom. Uh, Nick, did you want to add to that?
2: Yes, I, I think uh, this whole point gets to the heart of a difficulty that both the British and the American governments have had with this subject. And it's, it's a difficulty that Colonel Holt came across when, when John told the story of, of him leaving the service and, and, you know, he was like, hey, can I talk about any of this? And if the U.S. government turns around and says you can't talk about the UFO incident, that gives them a problem. Because, of course, the public position of the United States government is that UFOs are no longer of any interest and have not been investigated since 1969 when project blue book was terminated well if that's true how come you know paper trails are being uh, kind of laid how come a four-star general general gabriel is flying in to be briefed about this and taking evidence back to his headquarters and the ministry of defense has exactly the same problem on the one hand on the one hand we have this kind of soundbite for the British Parliament, the media and the public which is that UFOs are of no defense interest or no defense significance and yet on the other hand as we've now seen under the Freedom of Information Act um, highly classified intelligence studies such as Project Condine were being carried out and at the time there was no intention of informing Parliament about that at all and One reason for that is that it was actually carried out um, by not even the defense intelligence staff who commissioned it, but by a private defense contractor to take it that little bit further outside of, of parliamentary scrutiny and to take it completely outside the scope of the Freedom of Information Act, except at the point where the final report comes back in, which is why John is, I think, maybe finding it kind of difficult and he'll tell you about that to track down some of the supporting papers that went into drawing up this final report which is I think where some of the really sensitive information will be
0: Okay, well on that note, we're going to take our our break and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley and we'll be right back with our fascinating guests Nick Pope and John Burroughs Stick with us Everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on ON.
3: ON Radio, ON Worldwide.
0: And before we return to our guests, I wanted to just mention a few of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, certainly, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. They're doing wonderful things out there. Uh, Tony LeRae, especially, who's been a guest on the show, uh, uses ancient wisdom uh, to help at-risk youth and with amazing results. And it's not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's very feet on the ground, very practical. And he's done great work there for many, many years. And we hope you will visit youthmentoring.org, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Also locally, uh, of course, there are veterans' charities here. Builders Helping Heroes here in uh, Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts. And uh, they just recently built a house for a veteran who had lost both his legs in uh, combat in Afghanistan out in the town of Burr Little Rhode Island, right in our listening area here. And they do fantastic work, um, great things for our veterans and their families. Uh, also, uh, usacares.org, which renders financial assistance to veterans. And uh, to the north here... Uh, certainly Canadian Veterans Advocacy run by our friend Mike Blaze from Ontario. He's done some great stuff in the uh, legislatures there and in the, law, in, the, in the courts to help veterans of uh, the Canadian forces who have been with us shoulder to shoulder in the war on terror since the beginning. So, check out those uh, sites, please. And uh, we'll get back now to our guests. Now, if we can just... Uh, wanted to ask you, uh, either of you uh, fellas, uh, can you tell us about the, quote, Steve Roberts, unquote, and Brenda Butler involvement and other information leaks that occurred at, at, toward the beginning of the of the case in December 1980 and thereafter?
3: John, do you want to take that? Well, I mean, there early on, it was clearly, they went out into the pubs, this individual went on to the pubs, got the attention of Brenda Butler, Dodd Street, and talked about an alien encounter in the forest. Um, If you look at the early stuff that came out, that was the storyline, including some of the early witnesses that came forward and, you know, called themselves whistleblowers. They had the dates wrong. It implied there was aliens involved. And that was kind of the company line. But moving forward now, it's 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 clear that there are documents out there showing that the MOD and the United States and other governments of the world not only know about a phenomenon, but they're studying it and they're working on it for defense and weapons. So, I mean, the alien card was played early in my mind and – it, it was done, I think, to keep any serious investigation done on it. And even the dates were wrong. And, and what's interesting is that kept people from doing early FOIA and looking at certain things. And, you know, even like the radar data and stuff. So that that's my take on that. Well, one question we've always
0: um, always asked when we've, and we've had many, many hours of conversations on the air with all the, or well, at least most of the major witnesses, including Colonel Halt and yourselves, and it's, it's been a great pleasure to do that. And we've we've been there and talked to a number of the local witnesses as well. And one of the things that, that that I've always asked, and I don't know if anybody's ever really answered it adequately at least, is is it not possible that several different incidents were going on on the same nights in different parts of that forest? It's it's a large area and it's Utter, it's very strange. And we know Brenda Butler, and she's introduced us to a number of other people, And for what that's worth. And, uh, I mean, what say you on that? I mean, isn't it possible that your, your experience was one of just uh, of several that was going on, uh, several of which we may not even know about?
3: Which night are we talking about?
0: Well, any of the three, or four, well, depending on who you talk uh, to.
3: Uh, no there wasn't four there was only three right. the second night was clearly just the shift commander and uh the security flight chief went out and did an investigation our night there was only three of us out there you know officially um the third night there's been accusations made that other stuff was going on yeah um but the it was clear what you have for a fact is colonel hall and his group that were out there it's established there's a tape showing it there's statements written on our night and to say other stuff was going on within the forest you want to say is it possible well i mean there it is possible but some of the people that were claimed to be in one spot but and then and also in another spot they couldn't have physically been in both at the same time so there is some issue to that as far as some of the people that there was really troubling for them to get to both areas at the same time so you have to leave it at that there paul yeah. All right,
0: okay. So Steve Roberts, quote-unquote, is not a correct name. It was the person in the pub, as you mentioned.
3: Right, okay. right. Steve, I believe Steve Roberts was – he wasn't actually involved in the incident. He He worked in the back office – he worked for uh, the security police commander, Major Ziegler, um, and he definitely was out there. Um, now, the interesting thing is, two things would have been involved. He would have had access to the incident reports, the uh, you know the blotters and incident reports. He also would have been around, the, you know, our our command staff and probably even the wing staff at some point, and he would have had a better idea what was going on. But I mean, if you talk to everybody, now, I will have to say Colonel Halt's changed over the years a little bit. He never really said it was extraterrestrial at first but towards the end now he's kind of come online saying it is but there was never never early on that i remember it was et it was it was unexplained you know jim calls it a craft of unknown origin but we didn't know what we were dealing with now what the command staff and the teams that came in to investigate afterwards learned or knew or knew because of what we stated was a different story. But, I mean, when, whenever I see in any incident an alien car played, it makes you wonder what they're trying to cover up. Because when you do that, it's it's, it's hard for mainstream news or investigators to really want to take a look at something like
0: that. You know, I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of with you there, John, uh, after many years of looking at these things. I often wonder, especially when I was chased across the desert at Area 51, <laughs> supposedly, uh, there, there was a question in my mind, you know, is it really ufo related or is that a cover for something else you know and and it does kind of make you wonder uh let me ask you this um uh nick the um i don't know if i should ask this what one of the one of the what what is what is your i guess you've kind of explained this already what what your issue is with with our mutual friend larry warren who was uh was on our first show in 2010 when we did did that big marathon and he uh He's the one who was sort of said he was out in the woods and his book with uh, Peter Robbins who's also a friend of ours came out um quite a few years ago and was the uh, until your book came out the only book written on on the the incident as far as a full book was concerned. So you, so you think well, that did. that whole thing was just not legitimate at all or that he got his dates wrong and that just or it didn't happen? I mean what exactly do you feel on that? It's kind of like denominational differences here in this case.
2: So oh put it put it this way I don't have any difference with with Larry Warren I don't have a problem with him I think it's clear that he was one of the early if not the first whistleblower to this case but I think it goes back to to the question that you just asked John in terms of what the paper trail of evidence actually supports we in our book had to confine ourselves To those people who could absolutely prove that they were involved and the thing about um uh, john and jim and and why they're at the heart of of this incident and the book is is that everyone else saw them out there And, and you know you can draw a kind of wiring diagram of who was out there and everyone kind of backs up everyone else's story John says, yeah, I was out there with Jim, with Ed um, You know, and then you've got the fact that we have five, and only five, witness statements that were taken by Colonel Holt. And the names on there are Buran, Chandler, Peniston, Burroughs, and Kabanisak. That is another reason why we have to confine our book to those people who the paper trail says were, were there, And And again, on the final night, Colonel Holt was out there. And we know from him, not least because you can hear it on his tape, that Bobby Ball was out there, Robert England was out there, and then, wait a minute, there's a radio transmission you can hear. Somebody wants to come up on a Jeep. Who is the name? It's John Burroughs. So again, it's important to us in a field where there are so many people telling stories, alleging this, that and the other. In our book, we had to go back to the hard evidence and confine ourselves only to those people who can absolutely definitively prove that they were there.
0: Okay, well that's a very reasonable and sensible argument, but how do you know you have the whole paper trail?
2: Well, of course we don't. We come back to, you know, I don't know what I don't know. Sure. Um, but if if there are... Further documents, and if there are other witness statements, then let let those people making those claims try and bring forward that paperwork. But in the absence of of that, we can only we can only work from the material we have, not mm. the material that we'd like to have.
0: Okay, well, that's very sensible. Before we burn up the hours, we always do. Uh, why don't you tell us, uh, Nick? I'll leave this to you. Tell us about the book, uh, where people can get it, etc., um, etc., cetera, et cetera, and website, etc., whatever you'd like to say.
2: Well, sure. The, the book is called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. It's co-written by John Burroughs, Jim Penniston, and myself. And you can get it uh, basically from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and pretty much all all decent bookstores and and book sites. But Amazon's probably the the first place that people look for books these days, and it's right on there.
0: Yeah, that's the neighborhood bookstore today. All right, absolutely. Now I'm going to just bounce something off. We've talked about this before, but um, I I don't know. It was before we Ben and I had been there. Uh, Throughout the history of Woodbridge and Bentwaters, uh, the two bases in the area, there, lots of military personnel reported being, you know, creeped out by Rendlesham Forest. Uh, We toured the place over two days in 2012, in the company of some of our local listeners, uh, among them Larry Warren and Brenda Butler. And some weird things happened to us out there at night, and we got some awfully strange photos, and we tend to be pretty skeptical. Uh, we've also talked with a number of local people who claim to have had crazy experiences there going back many years, and you can pin down some of Britain's weirdest incidents, really, going back to Saxon times to within 30 miles of Rendlesham Forest. So. Uh, Do you have any feelings on our contention that there's something much deeper there than the 1980 UFO incidents? That was sort of the tip of a very large iceberg. What's your opinion on that, Nick or John?
3: Go go ahead, Nick.
2: I was going to say, there's no doubt, as you say, that over the years there have been many, many strange things reported in the area. Uh, UFO sightings, ghost sightings, witchcraft. Um, It is certainly an area um, where we know that a lot of strange technologies have been tested. I mean, uh, the ones we know about, of course, are more conventional things. But uh, looking back at Britain's military history, radar was developed in the area. Uh, There were some nuclear tests and facilities there. But what it all means, what the connection is, whether there's
1: some... Something
0: else, I don't know. Now, that, that's sensible enough, but it, you know, it's, it's intriguing to ask the questions. Whether we'll ever receive answers, who knows?
1: Right. So have you run into any evidence that the uh, governments or somebody else is aware of the weird characteristics of the place um, or in, in ways that they're studying them or ways to use these forces, energies, or whatever? That's,
3: Following Project, Con- that's Project Condine, guys. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. It's in the documents. Yeah. There's all kinds of things in the documents explaining... What happens to you if you get around the phenomena? Edgar Mitchell has talked about the phenomena in radio interviews. Yeah. Uh, so it, there's evidence there, and and this particular document has never been looked at very closely for different reasons, but it, it is a smoking gun, and, and it needs to be evaluated further and looked into deeper.
0: Now I always mix these up. But Bent Ward is now is an industrial park, is it? And and just to give the listeners who don't know a, a sense, Reynolds and Forest kind of sits in the middle of these of the area where these two bases are are located and i'm wondering why were they two bases instead of one or do we really know that or that that just something come out of world war two
3: go ahead yes
2: it's yeah it's it's world war two legacy issues these were both uh, basically diversionary airfields for american and british bombers that had been um, attacking nazi targets over continental europe and uh for damaged planes limping back over the the north sea these these two air bases were constructed as as basically and they saved a whole bunch of lives uh british and american and canadian too i think
1: mm-hmm.
2: um but uh yeah they uh, I, i'm not going to go into too much detail about the the Detailed role and mission of the bases, but um, yeah, they they certainly were. They had their roots in World War Two diversionary airfields.
0: Okay, and, and Woodbridge now is, is still in the possession, although of the British military at this point, is that correct?
2: Yes, Woodbridge Woodbridge is now a military barracks. It's called Rock Barracks. Okay. Uh, part of the part of the runway is still there, and occasionally. It's, it's kind of grown over now. It's occasionally used for helicopter training. And Bentwaters is now a, a, basically a business park. They they have a lot of the old infrastructure there, but they shoot movies there. They shoot advertisements for new cars, all sorts of things.
0: Okay. Uh, well, we were wondering if there, were, if there was any talk of uh, turning your book into a movie at this point. Someone, uh, Ben, was suggesting we were talking about it one day. He said, oh, maybe it'll be a musical. Yeah, but they have a dan- dancing uh air force security people i don't know (laughs) is there any talk of that yet
2: well not a musical but certainly (laughs) i think uh hollywood hollywood is is one thing they're not is stupid they know money making opportunities when they see oh yes They've, they've done roswell they've done roswell so i think it's only a matter of time before they realize that this is this is the other big one that you know they the story has yet to be told
0: yes indeed so what is the next step with this story we have often asked that question and uh but i'm sure it's it's, a, it's an answer that is evolving uh, is, is it is it a movie or is it uh, further investigation further attempts uh federal you know with the uh freedom of information act uh
3: well i i'm still working on FOIA oh, yeah, um one of the things i have uncovered is the british even though they've claimed they released everything, I've now got proof that they haven't. And they're contemplating releasing more documents that are holding holding back. Um, and I found that interesting. Uh, quite a bit of the stuff on Project Condine. Is still classified. Um, I've been simultaneously working my way through it, asking questions, and believe it or not, most of it still is. And I find that awful interesting. The fact that UFOs have no defense significance yet, all the stuff involving this report, a lot of it is still classified. Yeah.
0: Well, as we all, I have no doubt you're correct, but as we all know, just just to be, I suppose, fair to those who do the classifications, uh, many of the documents uh, are classified in in some cases because, I mean, there are still documents from World War II that are classified because certain people might still be alive and it might create problems for them or... Security issue? No, no, no. That sort this of stuff
3: thing. is no, no, no. This stuff is classified because it's of defense and weapons nature. I've got that in writing. Oh no, this I'm not I, saying I, it's I,
0: not. I'm just saying that yeah, this uh, no, stuff is not
3: being held back because of a name or something. They'll they'll, they'll say that sure. it is. Okay. This stuff is being held back because they're working on weapons systems and stuff based off of this phenomenon. So I yeah. mean. It that that's what's going on here. It's got nothing to do with a name or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and it's in writing. It's not, you know, something I've talked to somebody about. I've got all this in writing, and I'm continuing to pursue it. And they can go into a little bit more detail about, you know, this stuff and how it's classified and why it would be classified. No, go ahead. We have a few more minutes.
2: Sure. I mean, basically, yes, as you say, there are exemptions to the Freedom of Information Act that do cover personal details and that's in the uk what's known as a section 40 exemption but no that's not what john means john means exemptions that cover areas such as defense national security intelligence information obtained in confidence uh, from bilateral relations with other countries those sure. sorts of things
0: right okay okay certainly all right um now I, I was uh, curious, uh, John, and many of the listeners will probably wonder about this. Have you ever had what uh, is commonly referred to as a Men in Black experience? I mean, have you felt tailed or shadowed? Has anybody ever talked to you, you know, after you were out of the service or any sort of thing like
3: that? Um, I've never had what you call like being brought in, and, you know, and told to shut up or anything like that. Um, Over the past couple years, there's been some interesting inquiries on certain things that have nothing to do with trying to shut us up, but to learn more about about what happened to us and maybe the effects it had on us. And, you know, it's it's pretty interesting where this could be going. To include the radiation that we were exposed to is at a higher level. And based on the radiation itself, it would explain the... um, how jim got his binary download and that radiation would affect our dna and the reason why they might want to see how it affected our dna and everything like that so there is ongoing stuff going on but it's not the typical men in black or you know if you don't be quiet we're going to shut you down yeah right
0: now i don't think we can let the show pass without some mention of the binary code even though jim isn't with us Uh, and we'll get into this in more detail in september but uh can you uh, can you talk a little bit about that because you're, you're intimately acquainted with that uh, both of you both of you fellows so what was the Droid, binary Dic- code about?
2: Well, Droid, essentially, Dic- yeah, sure. Um, I can't go into all the details, and and of course um, you you are speaking to Jim, but essentially, when he encountered what he certainly perceived uh, and saw as a craft, and I mean he he touched the side of this, he sketched the thing and the strange glyphs on the side, but his memory of this is that when he touched it there was a kind of jolt and he received what I guess he would call almost like a telepathic download of ones and zeros and that a couple of nights later while at home almost as if he was under some sort of compulsion, he reached for his police notebook and wrote 16 pages of ones and zeros, now we reproduce this in the book
0: mm-hmm.
2: for the first time the whole sixteen pages. Uh, there have been a number of attempts by people to kind of decode this. Uh, my own suspicion is that uh, if there is a message it 's maybe not not quite as obvious as as people think but but uh, what has come out so far is a series of coordinates, geographical coordinates, uh, Sedona in Arizona, uh, the Great Pyramid in Giza, the NASCAR lines in Peru, a number of other sites, along with some text and the translation that's been suggested is exploration of humanity continuous for planetary advance, eyes of your eyes, origin year 8100. Now, that, of course, has led a number of people to speculate that what we're dealing here is time travel, not not UFOs. I'm not sure about any of this, but I think it takes the debate in into an interesting area.
0: Okay, very good. Well, fellas, I want to thank you for the, the usual great interview, and we wish you very good luck. Again, the book is Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, the Inside Story of the World's Best Documented UFO Incident by Nick Pope, with John uh, John Burroughs, and Jim Penniston. Okay, fellas, thank you so much. We'll be in touch with you.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Have a good night.
0: Okay. very okay. good. All right, now we have a caller, who I hope didn't want to talk to our guests because we just let them go. Um, can you put him through? Yeah. Oh, we have, uh, is, is it Steve from Yes. Oh, very good. Steve, how are you this evening?
4: Yeah, good, guys. How about you?
0: Very good. And uh, it's that time of year again. Time flies when you're having fun, and uh, you're going to. Uh, we're going to start our, our promotion of the uh, for second. I guess it's a second New England UFO conference in the Leominster, Mass. And go ahead and tell us about it. Well,
4: exactly. But I got another surprise for you. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not also organizing the uh, Leominster uh, conference, uh, but I'm also a co co organizer of. Uh, Travel and support experiences. Speak Conference
0: twenty fourteen. Oh. In uh,
4: Port- Portland, Maine.
0: Okay. You're, you're using your retirement well. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even retired
4: fully yet.
0: <laughs> I see. Well, that's very. So, so, so we're, running, a... we're
4: actually running two conferences
0: this year. Wow. So what that the one in Portland? That's about that's obviously people who have been UFO contactees. Uh
4: yes uh, that. That'll be uh, that September sixth and seventh in uh, in Portland, Maine. All right. Uh, if I can give you the uh, if people would like to look it up, there's a website called Experiences Speak.
3: Experiences. Uh, and Speech.
0: they can uh,
4: they can go right onto that website. I mean, they're going to have Stan Friedman, Steve Bassett, Kathy Martin, and Denise Stoner. Uh huh. Uh, Jim Wiener, Tom Reed, Linda Cordell, uh, uh, you know, and uh, I mean Michael Austin Melton, and yeah. they got a they got a, a great lineup.
0: Sounds good. That's right cool. around the corner.
4: Yeah, and Audrey Humans, uh, who runs the conference, has volunteered to donate uh, two uh, two pack tickets uh, for their conference. Uh, for
0: the raffle. Okay. All right. So I guess we're going to be raffling uh, for both events. Uh, yeah, I, I guess
4: we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that's good. Uh, we'll set up some dates for that. We're certainly raffling off tickets as we did last year to the UFO Conference in Leominster, and uh, we'll be getting information out about that. And There are links on all the different sites. So what, so what is that site again, experiences speak Is that .com or .org or, or what, Steve? Well, if you
4: look up experiences week conference 2014 okay you'll uh you'll see a yola y-o-l-a-s-i-t-e dot com link there and that's you go right to the conference. they've got a beautiful website tells all about the conference and can get you set up to purchase tickets and accommodations
0: very good okay now uh then we move on to uh october and october 17th i believe and that's the uh Second, the Wingland UFO Conference. What's going on with that?
4: Okay, what we're doing now, we've uh, been allowed, but I mean, uh, it was such a success last year that we're doing uh, a Friday night, Saturday, during the day format.
0: Good, okay. So it'll
4: actually be on the uh, 17th and 18th.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. This
4: year, uh, we have, um, it will be again, it's a spectacular Leamington City Hall, which was a great place to be. It in last was. Year.
0: It was great. Yeah.
4: And uh, we have. The, I've already met with the mayor. We still have the full backing of the city of Lemister. Um I mean, I am so excited about this. I mean, you just had uh, Burroughs on here, uh, mm-hmm. and <laughs> well, our, our main speaker is. A, uh, a Lemist resident.
0: Yep.
4: Yeah. Not a Lemist resident, but uh, a Lemist native.
0: Lemister native. Yep.
4: Yeah. Who was also a witness at in the Bentwaters incident.
0: That's right. His name is
4: Steve Laplume.
0: Steve Laplume. Yep.
4: Yeah. His dad used to be a Lemist police chief.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So he'll be coming home and talking about this. His Involvement
0: in the event for the first time in over thirty years. That's right. He's never. We know him pretty well, but he's never even been on our show, and so uh, we can't wait to hear. And we have to tell you, Steve, you know how to organize these things. Ben and I were there last year, and it was. That's a huge hall in, in the city hall. And uh, it was air conditioned. It was air conditioned, yes. Unlike poor Exeter, and uh, that place was full. And it was it was really it was a great experience. So, uh, who are some of the oh, we, speakers this year?
4: Well, well we had uh, close to 200 people there, but we're hoping to double it this year because we had capacity for, for over 460 people.
0: Sounds great. And so, uh,
4: uh, we're looking to do that. We want everybody tickets that are on sale. You know, uh, but let me tell you about the rest of the lineup here, yeah, but quickly. Uh, we have Stan. Reedman, Kathy Martin, Peter Robbins are back, Matt D'Antonio is back, Uh, Bob Schroeder will be back, but we have (coughs) also you and Ben Mm -hmm. will be speaking this year, which um, I'm really glad to have you guys this year, and we have two additional speakers. We have Abductee Tom Reed, and... uh, I can remember <laughs> last last my train of thought about
0: the bet the Tom Reed and um, <laughs> UFOs above the law. Give you a hint. Oh, yeah, Jimbo. Jimbo, Jim Jim that's right, right. I don't
4: know my my uh, you know my train of thought got off
0: track. I I know, we're about the same but. vintage here. I, I'm, I'm afraid we're out of time, Steve. We're, you're going to be calling in again um, several times, and we're going to we'll be going over this very thoroughly. We will be announcing the raffle uh, on our website, and uh, next week's show, give you the details. So uh, it's always great to talk to you, Steve, and uh, we'll be in touch.
4: Okay, it's easy. Tell everybody, you know, uh, keep telling them. Uh, it's really easy to get on onto the website. and When you up our conference, look it up. Get on there, click on a button, buy
0: some tickets. That's right. You don't want to miss it. Okay, thank you, okay, Steve. great. Bye. Okay. Uh, now, our announcements. Uh, in addition to the events you've just heard about, we also have the Exeter Kiwanis UFO Festivals coming up in Exeter, New Hampshire on Saturday, August 30th. Ben and I will present a program on the same thing we're going to be doing at Levinster Strange Connections, UFOs, Cryptids, and Ghosts on Saturday, October, uh, I should say, August 30th. Other speakers include many of the same ones. And uh, we'll offer more information as it develops on our website, and you can check that out, ExeterUFOFestival.com.
1: And next Monday, June 23rd, we will welcome back authors and researchers, uh, Mary uh, D. Jones and Larry Flaxman, for a look at their um, new book, uh, One, the Rendlesham UFO UFO Incidents, and something uh, that has come up for Jim and... We'd rather not proceed without him, so we're rescheduling that show. And at this point, we're looking at another open-line show.
0: Woo! Well, maybe. Uh, We'll (laughs) see. I don't know. And we leave you this evening with a thought from American industrialist Henry J. Kaiser. When your work speaks for itself, don't interrupt. I'm Paul Eno.
1: And I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.